Aaron, wait, just so I know, what kind of music do you like or listen to? Or uh, Well, the reason that Uppercut got all high and mighty about my music choice is because I said I liked the Decemberists. And uh, apparently that's not cool enough. It's not cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Art Denver Broncos podcast, uh, joined by the lower level mod uppercut of justice yeah is that what we're gonna call me uh i, I believe that was a request there is there is there is no before or after podcast there is only now this is um what you've been referred to uh on on the subreddit itself uh, it's, it's true it's true Yes, and uh, I am, of course, your host, Aaron, just like every week, every, well, okay, most, most times, at least half the time. Aaron, please introduce the guest. Why are you talking about you? <laughs> Tonight, we're joined by uh, a prominent member of Bronco's Twitter, Bleeds Orange and Blue. Uh, I'm going to call you Bob. Bob, how you doing? Hey, I'm just happy to be here. I'm, uh... I'm stoked. How how did you how did you come be on the show? Uh, Uppercut randomly sent me a DM. Uh, I have been told that not only do I follow him on Twitter, but I believe I was one of the OGs of uh, Uppercut followers. And uh, through our our deep philosophical connection there. Um, it has now led to, uh, this, uh, guest appearance. Right on. I just broke <laughs> a little bit off of my little figurine. I'm very upset. I need to bring breaking news that Sammy Watkins just scored a touchdown for the Chiefs. What's the score? 7-14. <sighs> Wait. Who's... What... Texas Chiefs are fourteen. Terrible, terrible news, Chris. Get out of here. Seriously, Chris. So I think I can start things off, Aaron, uh, okay. with a good question for our good guest, Bleeds Bob. What do you think of John Mayer, like as a blues man? Like I know he's got a lot of pop stuff and stuff, but he has—he's got blues chops, right? He has some chops. I I think he's, uh, in my opinion, I'd say he's lost some legitimacy as a blues man. Um, as a pop artist, he's he's one of the pop artists that I hate the least, and if I'm being honest, is even a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Um, but I I would I would not call him a a, a blues artist. You know, do you remember, or I don't know if you remember or just know, he was referred to as Slowhand Jr. by Rolling Stones magazine? No, I had not heard that. Yeah, that was, they did a spread about him, um, Derek Trucks, and uh, John Frustiante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers as ushering in the new youth movement of guitar players. Interesting. That had to be a couple years ago, though. Oh, it was, oh man, it was like my senior year in high school, so it would have been like 2008. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think that makes you and I the same age. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 30. <laughs> oh, I'm the baby on the oh, show no, no, no. tonight. Sorry. 
that was my senior year in college, so I'd be uh, four or five years old. Uh-huh. Um, as far as a new blues name to check out, uh, look into Chris Tone, Kingfish Ingram. Uh, and that's uh, it's more true blues, kind of Mississippi uh, Delta electric, uh, electric blues, but he's been the one kind of crowned recently as the young name to uh to carry on the blues uh had a uh, had a collaboration with buddy guy on his debut album actually called fresh out good song cool so there's the blues talk oh, make shit. sure to stick Aaron, around you scared the shit out of me i forgot <laughs> you were here oh That's my the, god uh, Aaron. That's the blues talk. Be sure to stick oh, around till the end when we get to the orange talk. On you. Holy should shit. We, should we have said sidebar first? Is that the code word? I don't know. He can't like just slink off into the shadows of the room and then come back in the middle of us having an adult conversation. <laughs> oh hey, my uh, god. BD Porter, this, this segment goes out to you. <laughs> because we know you oh love god. those off-topic little tangents. Okay. Guys, guys, football's back. Football's back. There's, there's live football on television right now. I've been jonesing for football. And it's Thursday night, so three, four days from now, we got a Broncos game. Against Tennessee, so I hear. Against Tennessee. But is it a Broncos game if there isn't a Von Miller, if there isn't a Cortland Sutton, if there isn't the so Todd Davis. Well, you can't put Todd Davis in the same breath as Cortland Sutton and, and Von Miller. Watch me. Has there been if an update drop... on Cortland Sutton on his, uh, on his injury? Last I heard, he was getting an MRI to check the severity and i hadn't heard anything else okay well here, here's the latest on sudden here's what happened he uh uh in practice today uh seems like he just stretched out for a one-handed catch um came up holding his shoulder uh talked with trainers on the sideline and then went to the locker room um the latest as far as i've seen as of 7 30 on thursday night uh, Mike Kliss reports sudden is day-to-day with a sprained AC joint and is questionable for Monday night. Ooh, I've sprained my AC joint before. That's not fun. It's not like a long-term deal, but it'll definitely stiffen up your shoulder. And uh, I guess maybe you could you could play through it, but you're, he's definitely not going to be peak. Well, so in October of 2016, Trevor Simeon sprained his AC joint. But was it his throwing arm or his non-throwing arm? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that it took him out of a game, and then he missed the next week as well. Yeah, if I could be wrong here, I'm going from memory, which is always a dangerous proposition for me. Uh, but I think that was his non-throwing arm. The AC joint's kind of a funky joint. It's a, a fibrous joint, and the way it comes together and the way it moves, it's not like a ball and socket joint like you would normally think of. Um, and so it depends on the severity of the sprain and what you did to it. Um, mine, I did it at work, and they told me I'd be out for about six weeks. I came back in about four. Um, 
So it depends on exactly what happens and how it goes down, but uh, not uh, not ideal. Yeah, in in Simeon's case, uh, Mike Cliss wrote an article back in uh, 2017. So the injury happened in October of 16, and then in like February of 17, Simeon had uh, surgery to to repair it. Um, he said that uh, according to Cliss, Simeon said that he was uh, dealing with some pain when he was lifting weights as late as December. Uh, so when they went in to do the surgery to uh, kind of clean it up, I guess, and just look at it, uh, they determined that it was not a, a grade three separation, which is what they initially thought. It was actually a grade five separation. And Ooh. the recovery time after that uh, surgery was five to six months. Yeah, that so, was a lot more severe than what I, I had. I don't know that they ever graded it. Mine was like a one or a two, pretty much the, the most minor thing you could have. But it stiffened up on me after I did it, and they wouldn't let me come back to work. It's well, not a, hopefully, it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> hopefully, that's what we're uh, what we're looking at with uh, with Cortland Sutton here. Absolutely, and I am hoping to to come back to the Von Miller injury too, uh, with the peritoneal uh, ligament dislocation, subluxation, if you will. Um, there are some reports that I think I want to say it was Adam Schefter came out and said. Um, three months was the best case scenario, but I'm seeing a lot of reports from doctors, uh, sports medicine doctors saying, uh, there's multiple cases. One of them is Dr. Chow, uh, C-H-A-O on Twitter. The one that used to be the Chargers guy? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Dr. Chow had, uh, multiple cases, multiple cases saying that, uh, they came back in three months. Um, so I'm hopeful that Vaughn can come back. Um, mid-season, a little after. You know, three months is a long time uh, from the beginning of the season, but, um, you know, some people are saying, well, maybe he's back for a postseason run, but could be back even sooner than that, you know, potentially uh, seven or eight. I'm not even sure where our bye plays out this year. I'd have to look at the schedule, but... I think the bye is week eight. And the the Von Miller injury, like, I've I've seen uh, people kind of catastrophized and i think appropriately when it happened and when the news was circulating around uh, but now that the news of what kind of injury it is i feel like this should be more of a relief not necessarily because he might get to play the year i don't even know if that would be a good idea even if he was to come back by three years or three months um but it seems from what I've read, that it means his future isn't necessarily upended in a way that a different kind of ankle injury could. Are you telling me that my 18-minute uh, feeling sorry for myself episode yesterday was unwarranted? Yes. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yes. Um, I think it was mostly, uh, mostly just whining. Like, it seemed like whining for no reason. It's funny. I think I remember somebody commenting on it and saying it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, lower level mod maybe. <laughs> Ooh. I tried to download it to listen to it and uh uh Google Podcasts would not let me download it. So maybe maybe it was warning me uh, about the content. That means you should try from any of the other platforms that we are available on, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, and I'll probably just DM you a link if you want to to like a Google file. Perfect. As long as you promise to download it on another thing and, you know, put it on mute and give me the, the, the listen. 
Oh, I'll download all of them. You know, create a create a playlist even and put them on the lowest level volume and shuffle and nonstop and just let those go. Like dedicate a whole phone or a computer to it. Just on a loop. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe we could have a little bit more outreach though with our, our Twitter. <laughs> if our Twitter hey, was more I'm active. Doing my, I'm doing hey, my the, part. The the guy who runs the uh the Broncos podcast Twitter is he's a joke. <laughs> What are we talking about? Uh, so from what I've from what I've read about the surgery for uh, Vaughn's type of in uh, injury, the uh, peritoneal tendon displacement, uh, dislocation, subluxation, um, I guess it sits in a groove along the side of the ankle, kind of down the side of the foot. And so once that dislocates, basically what the surgery is, is my layman brain understands it they go in and then they deepen the groove and then reset the tendon in there and there's sort of a, a sheave that sits around that that's not part of the tendon but often that sheave will tear when the tendon dislocates so then they'll repair the sheath also so it's a tendon dislocation uh still requires surgery but it's somewhat minor surgery and could have a uh, a decent prognosis and and decent timeline to return. Good. I thought you were a beekeeper, not a doctor. Well, I play one on TV. <laughs> I try to I try to stay educated. Uh I am I'm not a doctor. I'm totally a, an engineer um by degree, uh chemical engineering technically. Um so yeah, I'm I'm into all these uh, nerdy things and and trying to stay up on this stuff. No, that that's great info. Um, you looked into it a lot more than I did. I uh, I went with raw emotion instead of fact. So, <laughs> oh, always a safe bet. Always, you can't go wrong. <laughs> no. Let's talk about this opponent that we've got coming up on Monday night. The Tennessee Titans coming to Denver, uh, taking on the Broncos at Mile High. Can, uh, I, can, just... I, can I ask you a quick, like, slightly non-sequitur question, both of you, okay. about the Titans? What do you think of, like, think about it kind of in a way that is outside of you being familiar with the whole NFL landscape? What do you think of the name Tennessee Titans? Hmm. I like the alliteration. There are worse names. You could be the Washington Football Club. Now, it could be what they used to be called. I, I like the, I do like the Washington Football Club in in like a Samuel Beckett stage play kind of way. Just like we're getting rid of we're getting rid of all like pomp and circumstance about that. We're no, we are Washington based football team. That is also what we are called. I kind of I've I've grown on a little bit though. And if anybody listened, because I know they didn't, I still think Washington Red Claws with having a big buff ass crab claw. Or something like that would be the coolest thing. That would be cool. Or the, I like the red tails too, and the the homage there. Mm -hmm. But I asked that because um, Delana, I know you're listening, and you said that the alliteration couldn't save the the Tennessee Titans. But that's your shout out, uh, and that was how I folded you into the conversation. Um, you're welcome. We can move on. Beyond the uh, beyond the alliteration, I mean, Titans carries. A heavy connotation, you know. At one point, the the Titans were greater than the gods, in in Greek mythology. So, uh, if you're going to call yourself the Titans, 
that's uh that's big shoes to fill hmm 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 so what about that's, the tennessee that's titans my <laughs> that's, that's my take <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pose a question to the room too but mine is uh much more rooted in football does ryan Tannehill scare you no no and I was actually just having this conversation today that if you're going to game plan as the Denver Broncos against the Tennessee Titans, um, I, I'm probably stating the obvious here, but you, you stop Derrick Henry, which in 2019, uh, Broncos did a fantastic job of. Um, I'm going back to my notes here. Uh, kept Henry to 28 yards on 15 carries in uh in the game for uh 2019 marcus mariota went seven for 18 for 63 yards and i think a lot of people forget based on my conversations at work today that that was when mariota that game is when they benched mariota and and brought out ryan Tannehill. so that yeah. was Tannehill's debut we sent him to we sent him to oakland or yeah did he sign guy. as they were oakland or vegas i guess he's vegas we sent him to vegas it's the Raiders, regardless. It's trash. But <laughs> in regards to Henry, there are now two pieces of run stopping that we won't have that we had last year. And we have additional pieces as well that we didn't have last year. But Todd Davis and Von Miller are no longer there. Todd Davis being an A-tier run stopper and Von Miller being really good uh, to the point of underrated on run stopping. Agreed. Um, we do have Jarrell Casey. Uh, maybe the emergence of Draymond Jones, Shelby Harris is still there, but I'm I'm expecting Josie Jewell to die. So I've done some pretty deep dives uh, on on a lot of this stuff, kind of starting with the draft and uh, uh, McTelvin Ajim. I think is uh, poised to even his rookie year um, have some impact, uh, especially as an interior rusher from um you know call it the the one tech the three tech um he's going to be a rotational guy this year and i think develop into something um draymond jones i think especially out of like the three and five tech uh is kind of poised to to shine this year jarrell casey can play darn near any position along the line he's probably a little light to uh to play a true, uh, true nose tackle in a run situation. But outside of that, um, you know, you can even potentially have Casey as like a, a wide nine or, or a seven tech um, all the way down through the interior in a pass rush situation. The reason I bring all this up is I think that the D line is a real strength for the Broncos this year. And that becomes much more poignant in the light of Vaughn Miller's injury. Um, so something that uh, we saw a lot last year with Chubb being injured is we saw Fangio run a lot of 4-3 under. And so 4-3 um, under, if you're not familiar, uh, quick briefing, you get four linemen and uh, the three tech splits out to the open side and the five tech is to the closed side, the strong side of the offense. And the strong side linebacker in that 4-3 alignment usually will walk up to the line. So last year, that was Vaughn Miller as that strong side linebacker. Essentially, what you end up with is five rushers. That's kind of the important thing. Um, in a pass rush situation, sometimes they'll drop that strong side linebacker back into pass defense. Sometimes they'll 
drop that uh, weak side B in back out in like a fire zone uh, pass coverage situation. Um, but I bring that up because with Von Miller's injury, I think we'll probably see a lot more of that this year, except that Chubb will play that either the strong side linebacker role, which puts, as far as the depth chart goes, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell as your two, uh, uh, your two off-ball backers. Um, or you could see Bradley Chubb as your weak side D end um, split out wide, in which case you're still leaving it open for three linebackers, and you could see Calitro and or Mark Barron out on the field in the linebacking spot. So I think they'd shifted around, especially trying to find their groove. Um, seems to me like Fangio is a little bit conservative that way in finding his groove and doesn't really commit to anything until he's sure that it's going to work. Um, but I think that they have some options there on how they can compensate or help compensate for the loss of Von Miller, given the relative strength of Denver's D-line. Jesus. Aaron, remember <laughs> earlier today when I asked who Eddie Royal was? <laughs> uh, I, that was so thorough, Bob, that I uh, am struggling to come up with like a follow-up. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to get ahead of myself there. That was not, uh, not I was riffing a little bit, but <laughs> I do think, uh, I guess to, to try to distill that a little bit, um, I, I think Denver's going to have an underrated D-line this year. Um, and I think it's going to be a, a relative uh, strength for them um, that can be, linebacker is going to be a position of weakness cornerback generally speaking thankfully i think fangio's scheme um puts a lot more emphasis on safety play and kind of takes the pressure off of the cornerbacks you know running a lot of that zone um see a lot of quarters out of them some some quarters pattern match zone um that i think uh really plays to the the broncos defense uh it plays into their favor so you can, <laughs> I don't know what to do. What do you think Derrick Henry is going to do well or yes or no? Well, so I think he'll do better than he did last year. I mean, but it's not hard to, to beat 28 yards, you know, um, and especially 28 yards on 15 carries. That being said, I think that's the game plan. You, you stop Derrick Henry and you make Ryan Tannehill beat you with his arm. Because I think the other big question is, can Ryan Tannehill be as efficient? as he was last year. Ryan Tannehill did not put up uh, Star Wars numbers, to borrow the phrase, uh, throwing through the air, but he was very, very efficient. So last year, specifically, Tannehill, uh, his per uh, completion percentage was 70.3%, and he had 3.67 touchdowns to every one interception. So that's a ratio that I like to look at uh, to... Uh, play into his efficiency if you toss out last year and look at uh, Tannehill's career prior to last year he averaged 63 percent so 63 percent compared to 70.3 but more importantly his touchdown to interception ratio was 1.64 compared to 3.67 last year so last year he was incredibly efficient his passer rating last year for the season was 117.5 um, and I know there's 
a lot of debate about you know uh, how good of a metric passer rating is and and that kind of stuff. But all of those things being said, can Tannehill play to that level again this year? I think that there's a lot of credit due to the coaching staff for Tennessee and the system that they've come up with. Um, side by side, I think that Marcus Mariota is a better individual quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, but I think Tannehill fits the system that they want in Tennessee and especially when they're looking for efficiency. So can Tannehill maintain that efficiency? If I'm going into this game, my game plan is stop Derrick Henry, make Tannehill beat you with his arm, um, especially when I look at who he has or, in a sense, doesn't have for receiving weapons. Um, yeah, that receiving core is not super strong. Uh, the, the only name that stands out to me is A.J. Brown. I interrupt breaking news. The Chiefs scored a field goal. It is now 7-17. So AJ Brown, yeah, AJ, AJ Brown, uh, who obviously had had a great year last year, um, and you could even potentially throw the tight end uh, Johnny Smith into that mix a little bit. Um, I think Tennessee's tight end duo suffers uh, with, <laughs> excuse me, with Delaney Walker's um, departure this year. Um, but that was part of what struck me going through uh, some of the Titans, just their depth chart and uh, kind of reviewing um, some information about the Titans. They really don't have a ton of national household names, if you will, that jump off the roster. And at least two of them were signings within this last week. They signed uh, kicker Steven Goskowski on the third and uh, the big one is they picked up Jadavian Clowney on September 5th. Um, they, they, they just don't have these big names on offense, really, or defense. There's a few, don't get me wrong. But I think that that speaks volumes to the coaching, that uh, the schemes that they've come up with and how they've maximized their players' potential uh, to – make a run all the way to the, the AFC championship last year, I think that that's something that the Broncos have to respect. That being said, it also makes the Titans a little bit one-dimensional on each side of the ball, in my opinion. And that's something that a good coach on the opposing side should be able to attack. Well, let's take a look at the defensive side of, of the uh, the Titans, because you mentioned Jadeveon Clowney. Uh, last year, they weren't great. I think I'm trying to scan through my notes here. Uh, Pro Football Focus graded their defensive line as the 25th best pass rush uh, in 2019. Then they lost two of their three top contributors with Jarrell Casey coming to the Broncos and Cameron Wake hitting free agency. So how much does Jadeveon Clowney help them? Well, first of all, for the Broncos game, will he even be available? Uh so we we did have uh, a discussion earlier about uh, possibly our our first minor guest and also first female guest. I think has she arrived? It's definitely not. First she has arrived. Arrive. Oh good. Oh well. But first, adolescent. she has arrived. First, adolescent first... guest. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Who Do are we talking to? Mm-hmm. Tell them your name. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Annabelle. Who's your favorite football team? Broncos. <laughs> That's the Good correct answer. answer. <laughs> Not multiple no. choice either. That's so many SAT points. <laughs> Thanks for coming out and joining me, sweetie. Mm-hmm. You can go see mommy. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> okay. Tennessee defense. <laughs> yeah, Tennessee defense. Jadavian Clowney, is he playing? Yeah, will he be available yet by Monday night? I think you have to play him. Um, if you have a signing of, of that magnitude and for how excited the that fan base is, um, the other piece is he played for Mike Vrabel when Vrabel was the, the DC in Houston for, or no, uh, what was he? The He might have been an assistant in Houston, but he played for Vrabel um, for, I think, four years in Houston. And it's a very similar scheme that they're running in, in Tennessee now. So uh, it's not quite plug and play, <clears throat> excuse me. But if you have a talent like Clowney with um, a signing that is, you know, as heralded as that signing uh, is for Tennessee, I don't see how they, they don't play him. I mean, even if he's on a snap count, unless he's totally whiffing somebody of that caliber, you know, maybe he's not totally taken over a game, but I think um, you can stick him on the field and, you know, he's, he's going to be decent at the worst. Now, which side does he typically rush from? Was it the offensive left or right? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, from memory, I want to say he tended to rush from the right. I did find it a little bit interesting uh, that the Titans actually have him listed on their depth chart as an outside linebacker. And I think it's just because Tennessee runs a 3-4 base. But uh, to me, Clowney is not an outside linebacker. I see him as, you know, uh, kind of a classic five tech um, mm-hmm. who you can move out to uh, seven tech, nine wide, maybe even inside to, to three tech. But I just thought outside linebacker um, was an interesting, I think he's a D end to me. He's a 4-3 D end uh, classically, but they have him listed uh, at outside linebacker. The other thing that I thought was interesting about that defense, so they signed uh, Vic Beasley. I think it was in April. So they've got Vic Beasley, but he's actually uh, number three on the depth chart. Uh, He's behind Clowney, and they have Harold Landry III as the number two outside linebacker. I'm not familiar with the name, and uh, I'm— He was their first-round draft pick, uh, I think, a couple years ago now? So I'm biased. I follow the Broncos a lot more closely than I follow pretty much any other team. And that's part of what I was talking about with the, the national household names. Um, but we've got somebody like... Round pick. Second round pick. Thank you, Aaron. I love being corrected. <laughs> but you've got a name like Vic Beasley, who especially if he can pick up the, the scheme and, you know, firing on all, on all cylinders, I have to think that you know, four or five games into the season that Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley are their starting edge rushers. Um, uh, I don't think Vic Beasley is is terribly impressive to, to many fans, at least. Living in Atlanta, he doesn't seem to have their attention or didn't have their attention the last couple of years. It's 
I think he had like what 2015, 2016 had a really, really good season and has been woefully underperforming since. Hmm. Um, that's just the, through the, the, the atmosphere I absorb living here in, uh, in hot Lana. In the ATL. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably fair. Um, but any way you spin it, they've got Jadavion Clowney currently listed on the Tennessee Titans, uh, official website as their number one outside linebacker with Harold Landry, the third as uh, their number two. So to the point of whether Jadavion will play tomorrow night or not, I think all signs point to yes to borrow the uh, magic eight ball trope. And what does that mean for Drew Locke? That's a good question. Um, Obviously tackle has been a big question for the Broncos. Um, I think I'm a little bit higher on uh, bowls than a lot of Broncos fans are. Um, I would say we're probably the most complicated Bulls relationship havers that I've ever met. This little in-group of Discord users. Because I think we simultaneously want him gone, but also know that, man, there aren't other options, and why didn't we pick up that fifth-year thing? Yes, in, in the same moment, we uh, it's a love-hate thing. It's not that we swing between loving and hating him. It's just uh, we accept the reality <laughs> of who he is and, uh, and how difficult it would actually be to replace him, I think. Absolutely, and especially to draft a rookie. I think that offensive tackle is one of the hardest positions in the NFL to develop. And, you know, you're looking at a three to four year timeline just to get them to where they're, you know, competent on that uh, professional level. Um, So all those things being said, I think Bowles has the tangibles. I think pound for pound, he's generally one of the best athletes on the field. Um, Obviously, his technique has, is terrible, uh, hence all the holding calls. Um, here on, on local radio in Colorado, uh, Mark Schlereth has, has done uh, extensively some, some bits, maybe not so in-depth, but you know, he just says, look at his set. It's right here, kind of his first step. It's his technique that he takes, and it's all in his fundamentals. You look at Bull's history of playing. He played, what, two years of college, I think? Um, a big time college one. at Utah. Yeah, maybe one year one. at Utah uh, before got, going to the pros. So um, not only I, when I say three to four years of development, that's for somebody who played in college who maybe you know redshirted their freshman year or whatever. Um, maybe didn't get to the big time in college until uh, sophomore or junior year, but uh, in all likelihood had much more experience than than Bowles has. So. I don't want to be a Bulls apologist, just in context. He, he came, at, uh, came in with um, a severe lack of experience. All of that being said, what I saw last year, and not just his improvement towards the end of the year, he did improve with Drew Locke. He actually started improving after the bye. Uh, it wasn't just with Drew Locke coming in. That did help, I think. And some people say, well, Drew Locke doesn't make... Garrett Bowles a better player, Drew Locke just hides the deficiencies, which is a fair point. Uh, the, other, the other point of that was, is a lot of people say, well, he also improved, uh, Garrett Bowles improved at the end of 2018. 
which is true. But he also went out and got basically a private tutor, uh, I think starting at the bye week, if memory serves. I'm going off the top of my head here. So not only to me does that show some maturity, um, and I think related to that is some of Garrett Bowles' responses, like in the media when they've asked him about being booed at home, um, you know, when he's had a holding penalty or when he's come out on the field and fans have booed him. And he's backed up the fans, and he says they have every right to to do that, to boo me. They're right that, you know, my play has not been up to par. Um, shows me a lot of maturity and the right mindset on top of the fact then that with some private coaching, it appears that maybe some things have clicked for him, uh, that he's improved in that regard. I've seen some reports that he has a learning disability. And again, not to be an apologist or, or to make excuses for him, but if he brought in this private coach out of his own pocket who has been able to maybe explain some things in a way that suddenly makes sense to him and things click, and now he can turn a corner, then I'm all for you know giving him this year. And part of that is the situation, too, of what are the other options? I mean, right now we've got Elijah Wilkinson at the top of the depth chart at right tackle. And I really like uh, Eli. I'm going to pretend like I'm on a first-name basis with him. Um, I really like Elijah Wilkinson, but not at right tackle. I think he's out of position. I think he's a guard by nature. Um, and I think he's overmatched. Uh, the, uh, the second tackle uh, behind Eli right now is listed as DeMar Dotson, who... I'd be interested to see play because we saw a lot of Wilkinson last year at right tackle. And to be honest, um, I think it was, it was worse than what, what the product that Bowles was putting on the field. So that's my concern right now are those, those outside tackles. Um, all of that being said, I think Denver's going to end up with one of the top interior offensive lines this year in, in all of football. Um, with uh, with Reisner, Cushenberry, and Glasgow anchoring that center. So it all comes down to the scheme they're going to run, how they're going to handle those outside rushers. You're definitely going to have Clowney, I think, to contend with. Um, but along the rest of that Tennessee defense, uh, to Aaron's point, there's there's not a lot there that scares me. So it means good things for Locke is what I've gathered. Potentially good things. Um, they're going to have to scheme some stuff because those tackles are weak points, I think. Um, I also think that Locke moves well in the pocket and has good presence. I think he can feel pressure and uh, you know feel that rush coming. Um, he can throw on the move, uh, which uh, are all positive things for him. So, well, how do you think? Let's let's assume Sutton has to be held for this game at least. How do sure. you feel like the offense is going to fare when you've got uh, the the three the three back rotation? Maybe I don't know if we'll see another like Lindsay or Gordon pull out in front and, and get the majority or lion's share of snaps. But you would be probably running what you'd have Judy Patrick, and then I Hamilton. would imagine you'd you'd see a lot of Hamilton in the slot. How do you feel like that particular like? structured offense would do against this this titans defense assuming that hamler uh doesn't go because of the the hamstring issue um 
to be honest, I'd, I'd still take that against this defense because, uh, again, there's not a lot that scares me. I do think that the Titans safety duo is kind of underrated in uh, Vaccaro and, and Bayard. Um, but uh, Malcolm Butler, uh, still a solid corner. I think probably a little past his prime. Uh, Adore Jackson has, has never scared me. And then you got Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Joseph as a backup to Jackson. Um, an intriguing rookie in Christian Fulton, uh, listed second behind Malcolm Butler. Um, but nothing there that just screams uh, shut down corners to me. Um, so I do think that Pat Shermer is going to be more adept at being able to pick that defense apart than somebody like a Rich Scangarello. And I um, neglected to even mention the tight ends. Yeah, so that's the other piece, too, is for the Broncos. I think the tight ends uh, might end up even being the X factor. Breaking news. The Chiefs just scored a rushing touchdown. It's now 7-24. Which back was it for the Chiefs? Uh, was the rookie? I don't know how to say his name. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. C E H. Yeah. I wanted him for the Broncos. Ah. Nah. They were never taking it back. No, but he's built like a fire hydrant with the feet of a ballerina, and I love it. <laughs> also, I extremely underestimating the Titans secondary. I think they're one of the better in the league. Chris, Chris, bounce. Chris, get, get out of here. Out. Get him out of here because I have something. That was not a score update. <laughs> I, what I'm getting here from Bob is uh, that, that that secondary is going to allow Jerry Judy to repeat Eddie Royal's week one performance from 12 years ago. The Broncos' top receiver at that time was Brandon Marshall. He was serving a suspension, I think, for four games. Um, Royal went off versus the Raiders in week one, catching nine of 11 targets for 146 yards and a touchdown. So Who is I'm throwing? not saying uh, it was Jay Cutler. Right. So I'm not saying uh, Jerry Judy's going to have, you know, exactly those same numbers. But uh, the door is open a little bit. I'm going to let myself get hype right now. Absolutely. And uh, I'm one of the few that uh, I love the, the Jerry Judy pick. Um, I personally had him above, oh, I'm blanking on the name, the speedster that went through the Raiders. Rugs. Rugs. Uh, I, uh, I wanted Judy above Rugs. To be honest, Rugs overall may have a higher ceiling if he totally uh, plays out to his potential. But to me, Judy is a prototypical uh, Z receiver. Um, he is uh, a good replacement, I think, for Emmanuel Sanders, not in that his game is the exact same style as Emmanuel Sanders. But, but that he has his... good form when he takes like an uppercut. <laughs> yes, that, that and... Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't like bring it all the way around to a guy who's got eight inches on him. Exactly. Well, in just his his route running, um, his 
the way he breaks routes and the way he gets separation, the way he sells routes, obviously he doesn't have blazing speed. I think he has, you know, his speed is just fine in the pros, um, more than fine. But uh, his crisp route running and then the way he gets in and out of his breaks and the separation that he gets, um, I don't want to get too far out ahead of myself. Obviously, we're talking about a rookie, but I've heard comparisons to Jerry Rice. I've heard comparisons to Amari Cooper, um, guys who are not blazing speedsters, but who are fantastic wide receivers that, when used surgically, kind of in the right way, um, are a fantastic weapon to have. Overall, I think when you've got somebody like Cortland Sutton as your ex, who is just a beast of a wide receiver, somebody like Jerry Judy, who can play your Z, he can also move into the slot and plays really well out of the slot. When you have Jerry Judy as your Z, then you can use somebody like Hamler out of the slot um, as your your speed threat, or even swap those two. You move Judy into the slot, you put Hamler outside. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate about Hamler, but just his speed threat now to be able to take the top off a of defense, they have to account for that. Even if he's not that good of a receiver, somebody has to cover him or you know, we'll throw it to him if he's wide open. So now you're making defenses, you're you're dictating what defenses have to do as the offense. And to me, that's exactly what you want. That's how you open that scheme up to be able to, even if you're not going to throw it to Hamler, you've now taken the top off. They can't just ignore that. Uh, it's going to open up so many other things, including coming back to the tight ends and the weapons that are available there with obviously Noah Fant, Albert O. Um, I think Nick Van Nett, to me, is a little bit underrated. I think he's more of a blocking tight end, but uh, you know, you, you, you get the opposition kind of ignoring him and, and sneak him a couple receptions in a game. Um, and then uh, Jake Butt, all of the reports out of camp are that Jake Butt is looking really good, assuming that he can stay healthy. So um, to me, the, the offense is outside of the tackles. I think the tackles is, are the only weak spot uh, on the offense position-wise, and everything else is really looking up. All right. Well, we're, we're starting to run a little close on time here. So let's, uh, let's get to sort of rapid fire. What, what do you really want to see out of Denver this week? I mean, outside of a win, um, <laughs> you know, if we're talking about uh, a certain position group excelling or some growth for players. Um, no, good question. Um, so I think from the offensive side, and especially if Cort uh, Cortland Sutton doesn't go, especially if Hamler doesn't go, um, then I think you're looking at Jerry, Judy, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, and well, I think Tim Patrick would be your number two. I mix those two up. So Jerry, Judy, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, and Tyree Cleveland as your number four. So um, if, uh, if Cortland's out, uh, got to see the receiving core step up on the defensive side. I'm interested to see what they run scheme-wise. Um, Again, I would expect uh, some 4-3 under, and especially against this Titans offense that's going to come out in some heavy sets, and Derrick Henry's going to try to pound the ball. And to me, the game plan is is trying to stop Derrick Henry. So uh, expecting to see 
all of those things and and make Tannehill uh, beat you with his arm. Outside of that, I'm really looking um, personally interested to see how some of these young players perform, uh, looking for some development, some improvement. Uh, I'd really like to see Draymond Jones make that that second-year leap. Um, I'd like to see the D-line kind of shine. I think they've been flying under the radar. They're not getting that national recognition. Um, so even if Denver doesn't come out with a win, you're playing a team that went to the AFC Championship uh, last year, was one game away from the Super Bowl. Um, not not trying to look for moral victories, but uh, a solid showing in a lot of different areas, I think would, would give me some comfort with this season, and especially given the, the recent injuries. A more broad question before you ask me anything, Aaron. Um, what would you think, what would you consider to be a successful season for this team? Boy, another good question. Um, Got to take some injuries into account. Um, Von Miller being the big one and potentially Cortland Sutton. I mean, you meet, you you lose your number one edge rusher and your number one uh, wide receiver. And I'm speaking hypothetically, of course. Um, you know, you're talking some of the most important positions behind quarterback that uh i don't want to lower the bar just because of that but i do think it has to be considered so if everything was primo and injuries were not a consideration um anything less than nine and seven i would be mildly disappointed in i'd want to see more than that if we're factoring in uh potentially some some uh season altering injuries uh depending on how some things play out, then, you know, I'd be willing to, to be flexible on that, you know, uh, eight and eight, uh, maybe seven and nine. I hate to say it. Um, that certainly don't want to aim for mediocrity, but I think we're looking at a very young team and especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we're looking at, uh, new coaches. Vic Fangio is only a second year head coach. Um, our DC now in his second year, um, Pat Shermer, you know, an old hand, uh, especially on the offensive side. So I think that'll help bring some stability compared to last year. So um, nine and seven, I'm not totally depressed with. If if everything is firing on all cylinders and injuries are not a major concern, um, I think the Broncos need to be in the wild card hunt. Uh, is the bar I would I would think. What what would you be willing to accept if it meant definitive proof that Drew Locke was a franchise quarterback, a like top potentially top ten, well guaranteed eventual like within his first contract top ten quarterback? What would you be willing to lose? I guess, or what kind of season would you be willing to have if that was the showing? Record wise, yes. Would you would you take a five win season if 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 it was like definitively we know Drew Locke is now the truth? Uh, yes, because long term, um, you know, let's say let's say our receiving core is just you know decimated, and Drew Locke has nothing to work with for weapons. Let's say our offensive line, you know, um, also is decimated in you know it's just totally patchwork. But Drew Locke is just balling out and doing everything he can to put every game on his shoulders. And it shows on film that you can go back and break it down and see 
improvement in his game and and see what he's doing as an individual um you know if he was thrown into a, a terrible terrible situation hypothetically yes i would take a five win season if it showed out that he is the answer and he's going to be a top 10 top five quarterback for the next 10 15 years i definitely think that's worth it that's that's about where my optimism is because there's so many things that i would still consider question marks prior to the season um that i i if if you could show me drew lock performing beyond expectations or i don't know a lot of people have very lofty expectations but beyond my expectations to where you know a sophomore-ish kind of maybe the magic wore off hopefully not a baker mayfield style decline but if you could show me that drew lock is for real a, a franchise quarterback i would be i probably wouldn't care how many wins the season had uh, other than like morale for the team and as like a place that's attractive to free agents but but yeah, I'd be willing to take a, I'd be willing to take a pretty decimated season, if it meant uh, uh, something like that. I would agree. I think um, you know the 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 trope in the NFL is uh, it's not X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. Um, but I think that's too simplistic. I think good coaching alone should be able to get you with pro level talent, even if it's bad talent, <laughs> relatively speaking. Uh, pro-level talent in the NFL, I think you should be able to get at least four wins. So my bottom, I think, for for Drew Locke being a, a smashing success, so to speak, uh, to prove that he is the next franchise quarterback, I think it would have to be five wins or more. And that's if everything else went terribly poorly. Hmm. Aaron, what were you going to ask me? What? I don't remember. Well, it's small in comparison now. I was going to ask you about Monday night, but you had to go and talk about the entire season and the future yeah, of the night, franchise. Um, I have no idea. Um, I don't what, know. what do you What do you want to see though? Not Not what are you predicting? Yeah, but, I know uh, what you're asking me. I'm not super dumb, Aaron. Uh, no, I would like to see poise and I was about to say grace, but I realized that's. It's not the way I wanted to word that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep it. No, no, I'm committing. Damn it! I want to see poise and grace from Locke. Um, I would like to see. Mm. I would like to see. I mean, I would like to see Lindsay pull out ahead. Um, but that might be more like uh, shitty of me than <laughs> anything else. Like, I'm really hoping that eight and a half million dollars is not proved to be a good deal. Um, but. I would like to see that. I would... Hmm. I'd like to see Jake, uh, Jake Butt, really excel in the capacity that he's able to, uh, given oh. the the kind of titans that are around him, because he's not going to be as much a receiving threat as Fant is, and he's not going to be the blocker that... I, I, am, I am putting blocker in air quotes, please believe me, uh, Venette, because uh, I'm not sold based on his past work. Um, but he's betwixt and between those two, and I know that he probably came from like a middle to upper middle class background and probably didn't really have to worry about anything, and so me calling it like a, a comeback story isn't quite as accurate as what it usually conjures up in people, but goddamn do I love a comeback story. So that's it. I want to see Locke. I want to see Locke do... Oh, uh, I want to see a Sang uh, Bassi, which I think is the correct, 
pr pr correct pronunciation now, Aaron, even though I led you astray. You've been lying to me for months. That's it's 100% lies. Um, I did hear I'd like that. To see it, it's it started with episode 11. Uh, yeah, that came up. <laughs> I um, I'd really like to see him because I was relatively high on him pre-draft. Um, like I I would have been thrilled to get him like in the fifth round. Uh, but getting him as an undrafted free agent, and I know that climate and circumstance maybe necessitated some people go later than normal but i'm really thrilled we got him on un undrafted so i'd like to see him work out in the slot and the nickel a little bit um i am just curious this isn't like i need to see these people exceed i'm just curious what the safety depth can do what it can look like are they going to throw duke dawson out there as a pure safety uh is he going to play more of just like what will parks did when he was up close something like that but those are the things I'd like to see. Aaron, do you want to tell us? Uh, you guys actually touched on basically everything that I have on my, uh, what I want to see. I think the one thing that, uh, the two things that weren't specifically mentioned, I want to see Locke be on the same page as his receivers. I, I know that this is going to be a rough start to the season for a lot of teams because of the, uh, you know, crazy off season that we've been dealing with, but um, for a collection of so many players who are young, I really want to see those guys uh, get into a rhythm early. Um, and then the other thing that I want to see is uh, anybody, uh, a linebacker, step up and just just one, just one stop, one one-on-one -on -one stop with Todd Davis. I mean, with uh, with uh, Derek Henry, uh, with Todd. <laughs> Dillon. Oh no, Todd's gone, Aaron. He's not coming back. <laughs> Don't worry, Josie Jewell is out there. Hey, if, I'm if... more I'm more comfortable with uh, Josie Jewell filling filling run gaps than I am putting him out in pass coverage. Ideally, neither of those things would be true. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, you'd have like a a very underrated uh, linebacker who is slightly above average in pass coverage and an A grade run stopper who is on your books for another year. Uh, you'd have him do it. So what you're saying is we we need another Alexander Johnson. Y yeah, yeah. Maybe somebody <laughs> who's younger than Todd Davis this time, though. All right. If he plays like Alexander Johnson, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I would like, like, a, I would like to see if if a true shutdown uh, linebacker can can be real, can exist. Because I feel like, you know, I've said this a million times that people fantasize and pretend that linebackers can stop tight ends and running backs all the time when mitigating the damage they do is really their job. But I would like to see, like, can can Stranon, can he be a shutdown linebacker? Can he stop passes over the middle every single time? Stranod was also somebody I was somewhat high on for a, a later round thing, because I just have a Wake Forest thing, I guess. Agreed. I was high on, on Stranod uh, as a later round pick, and uh, I thought it was very foolish of the Broncos to try to sneak uh, Justin Hollins through on waivers. Um, that he was good enough, somebody hubris. was going to pick him up. Their yes. hubris has, has bested them. Yes, especially and since especially uh, the now. linebackers coach was on another team. Yes, and especially now with the uh, with the Von Miller injury, I think that hurts him any, even more given uh, Holland's potential flexibility um, at edge and off ball. Um, you know, like, ifs I, and buts, but 
I'd like to see if Josh Josh Watson can uh can ex, uh, can improve and and be a potential like sometimes linebacker on the team. I like the idea of of like smaller or I don't know smaller school, but like in state players being picked up undrafted by the state team they're in. And, did uh, they uh did they sign him to the practice squad? I know no, they I waived him. <gasps> He's not I'm... on the depth chart. I can tell you that. I didn't even think of it. I he's just not assumed on the 53. He's gone forever. I think they waived him, and I don't think they signed him to the practice squad, if memory serves. Well, good luck, Josh Watson, wherever I don't think you're probably going to have a career after this, but I hope for the best. He was a kind of an interesting one to me, uh, you know, with a, maybe a little bit of potential, but... Yeah, on the 53 right now, um, for off-ball linebackers, we've got Alexander Johnson, Austin Calitro, Josie Jewell, Mark Barron, and Joe Jones are the five listed on the 53 for inside linebackers. Uh, well, okay. Well, I'll see if I feel like deleting this entire segment later. <laughs> I don't like to embarrass myself on purpose. That's fair. That's why you have the power of the editing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the I think the headline to this game is a Denver defense that ended last year tenth uh, in points allowed, twelfth in total yards allowed, and first in defensive red uh, red zone percentage uh, against a Titans offense who once they brought in Tannehill and and they hit their stride weeks seven through seventeen last year they averaged thirty point four points per game. Um, so a, a good defense from last year versus what ended up being a, a good offense from last year. To me, that means the, the place for the Broncos to exploit to win this game has to be the Broncos offense against the Titans defense, uh, for the Broncos offense to open things up. I think that Shermer, um, even though he has his tendencies, obviously every coach has their scheme that they like to run. I think Shermer is one of the more adaptable coaches, which personally is one of the things that I like in a coach who can adapt to whether it be uh, a team that they're facing the next week, the personnel that they have on hand, um, any of those different things. I think that that's where this game is going to be won or lost. So quick update. Josh Watson is on the practice squad. Good. Indy. Uh... I saw him. He is. I don't know if this order means anything here. I don't think oh. it does. But uh, user indie, user indie. I thought you meant he was indie. on. I thought you meant he was on Indianapolis's practice. No, squad. no, 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 no. I'm uh, I'm being smug to a user in the Discord who, for some reason, is listening right now. Ah, is he talking to me? <laughs> Eat shit, indeed, Indy. <laughs> Okay, uh, wait, final prediction for the game. Who's going to win? What's the score? Oh, Broncos are going to win um, 15 to 13. Yeah, I got to go Broncos. Uh, Broncos 17, Titans 14. Okay, I've got the Broncos 23 to 20. 
Really, I think it's a... we're really hoping for something, aren't we, boys? <laughs> well, a, a podcast full of homers, um, but I think any way we spin it, it's going to be a tight game. Chris, you want to come and give your prediction? I like Indy's prediction. Uh, yeah, I actually do think the Titans are going to win 27-21. Chris, I yeah. thought you were just giving score updates. What the hell, man? <laughs> you asked for my opinion. I didn't ask. I'm like, not in charge here. <laughs> as, as much as I want to say the Broncos will win, there's just too many unknowns at this moment. <sighs> well, it was it was a super good thing. I always love it when I don't have to talk much, and mostly because you uh, you went on with very few pauses, and so I'll be able to just watch your um, watch your waveform in the editing bay and just like scroll past it (laughs) i'm i'm sorry i think no very good for me (laughs) means an hour and 15 minute podcast can be done in like four hours instead of seven (laughs) yeah hopefully i didn't just ramble on too much but i did try to prepare and make some notes i tried to be cogent in my points i think i i uh, it started to ramble and get off on a tangent now and then, but uh, oh, only when you were talking about the blues. <laughs> I don't count that. Aaron, what a risky thing to say. Oh, seriously. What, what, if, what if it pivoted right into that? Okay, well, no, I, I really appreciate you. Um, b- beware of Bob, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I, the way you came prepared and and knew more than I did. Like those are those are good things, I think. And hopefully we can hear from you more in the future. Hopefully post game shows we'll be doing. Aaron, what about post game shows will we be doing? Yeah, so uh Broncos are taking on the Titans Monday night at eight thirty. So that means that late after that game, uh me, Uppercut, and Indy uh are gonna be on uh, Discord, we're going to do our post-game reaction show. Uh, if you want to uh, sort of quote-unquote call in, we're going to put a link to the Discord in the uh, our Denver Broncos post-game thread. Um, so stop on by, and we will pull you into the voice chat, and, uh, uh, and we'll get your takes recorded, and then we'll have that out as... Uh, I guess as soon as possible the next day, right? Or as soon as possible after. Yeah, I feel like there'll be minimal editing on those things. I'll just I'll just cut the ends off and release it. But also, so. this game starts at 10:30 p.m. for me. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I guess 90% of our uh, of the Reddit user base uh, of the subreddit user base lives in Nebraska, so it'll be 9:30 for them, 10:30 for you. So maybe I shouldn't complain. No, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> Um, no, I've loved this and uh, would love to, to come on again. Hopefully I, I didn't overdo it. Um, tell me if I should tone it down, but... Uh, oh, uh, not at all. This was... This was a blast for me. Oh, I Thoroughly do have one more it. question for you, uh, uh, Bleeds Bob. Um, what is the... I feel, like, I feel like Bleeds Bob is I don't, like, a, like a criminal allegation. <laughs> yeah, it's something akin to it. Um, what what is the queen to to drone ratio? Oh, uh, good question. Depends on the time of year. At any given time, you only have one queen. 
if you try to put another queen in, in the hive uh, while a queen is in there, uh, they will kill the new queen uh, because they've adjusted, uh, they're used to the old queen's pheromones. Um, when a hive swarms, um, usually that's if they feel like they don't have enough room that they have to expand the hive. The old queen will abscond with about half of the hive's uh, worker bees, which are all female, and go to a new hive. And so if you hear about a bee swarm, or if you see pictures of this giant group of bees on like a bush that you know somebody freaks out about or whatever, because there's all these bees hanging out, that's a swarm where a queen has left her old hive with about half of the worker bees. They're looking for a new hive. Um, and a lot of beekeepers actually uh, fill up their beehives that way that uh, exterminators who often get the call to come handle these bees will call a beekeeper to come out and collect this swarm, put them into an empty hive, and you suddenly have a new colony, a new full beehive. Um, the reason I bring that up is that's pretty much the closest naturally that a hive should ever get to having two queens. The old queen will leave the hive about 24 hours before the new queen emerges. Um, so you should not ever have overlap between two queens. So you only ever have one queen. Drones, the male bees, uh, during breeding season, you're not going to have a lot of them. And by a lot, I mean relatively. I'm going off the cuff here, but it, I don't think you'll ever have more than probably a thousand drones. It, which sounds like a lot, but you're talking about a beehive that at peak population is like 60,000 in a healthy hive, up to 100,000 in a really big colony. Um, so a thousand drones is not much. Usually you're talking uh, in the hundreds. Uh, the drones only um, function in life is to mate with the queen, which sounds awesome uh, for the drone, except that once they mate, um, their uh, fertile parts explode and then the drones die. So uh, it's either that or if the drones are born later in the season, which can happen depending on what the colony is preparing for, uh, but the drones born later in the season, they just kind of hang around the hive and when winter starts coming on, the female worker bees throw all of the drones out of the hive to uh, die from exposure. So it uh, can be kind of a rough rough life for the drones, but that, ro uh, that ratio, you might be talking uh, multiple hundreds up to a thousand drones per queen. Um, obviously not every drone, a, a very small fraction of the drones will actually mate with the queen on a mating flight the queen will fly essentially one time in her life, mate with multiple drones, and then she'll actually uh, store the spermatozoa um, to be able to fertilize eggs essentially for the rest of her life, which for productive egg laying is usually two or three years tops for a queen before uh, the, the colony will um, supersede her once her laying drops off. Uh, the colony uh, the colony will naturally cull her or in commercial beekeeping operations where they're trying to optimize the number of bees and workers that they have and optimize the amount of honey that they're producing, they may, um, uh, I don't want to say, what's the word, not interfere, intervene 
they may intervene in the hive and cull the queen every year or two themselves and then introduce a new virgin queen um, that way. So that's a quick 101 on uh, queens, queens to drones, and hopefully I didn't misspeak too badly. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I was thrilled that you actually answered the question. Um, so it's, we're, we're winding down. You got anything you'd like to plug? Do you sell honey? Do you sell bees? Do you sell... I children <laughs> uh nothing official yet i'm uh, i'm working up to that a little bit um uh on the bees and honey side the the children i've got two of my own that i am often tempted to get rid of uh one way or the other um but uh um I do uh, dabble in some of my own soap making, candle making, uh, beard oil, um, some of those kinds of things, some natural products, but I haven't gone uh, fully fully uh, commercial yet. So that'll be coming. Uh, I reserve the right to uh, commercially plug later. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we would expect it. Um... Is it a real good follow at Bleeds Orange and Blue on Twitter? Uh, Aaron, who are we on Twitter? We are at Broncos Sub Pod on Twitter. And this, uh, listeners, has been Broncos Uber Apis. And uh, we will see you after the Titans game. <laughs> <laughs>